Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 39. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath they entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Um, Please pray with me. Thank you, Father, um, for this day that you have made. And we ask now that in the hearing of your word, you would speak to us. Give us a word today as we consider a day in your life together. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Before I begin, I just want to again uh, remind you, for those of you who um, haven't uh, been reading, um, I was encouraged to see uh, we had double the number of people who are uh, saying that they're reading. So uh, I want to encourage you to uh, follow along and read the New Testament uh, with the rest of the church this year. Um, again, you can get the, each chapter delivered uh, every mo- morning, um, Monday through Friday, and we can read the New Testament together uh, in the space of year. And I, just as a, a word for those of you who might miss a day or two or miss a week or even a month, um, you can just read whatever you get that day and backfill later. So if you fall behind, don't feel like, oh, no, you got to go back to the beginning. Just pick up from whatever the reading is that day. And, and, and continue to uh, move forward. So if you missed all last week, you can start tomorrow uh, with Matthew chapter 6 and just uh, keep on reading through the uh, rest of the New uh, Testament. All right. Uh, 
Carmina in here? Oh, there she is. Uh, yeah, so last week um, we, we said that we want to thank Carmina for the beautiful calendars, and uh, she wasn't here, so she's here, so uh, <laughs> thank you, Carmina. Um, we have lots of calendars, so apparently there was a mix-up, so there's lots of calendars. So if you didn't get one last week, please take one. If you want to take two, feel free to take two. We have, we have plenty, so. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, today we are given uh, these four snapshots over a 24-hour period as Jesus engages in ministry. Uh, it's his first full day of work. Last week, Jesus proclaimed the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And now Jesus begins to demonstrate what that looks like. The day starts out promising enough with a worship service. Jesus is a guest preacher at the home synagogue of his disciples, uh, Simon and Andrew. Uh, he gives a powerful message. He's delivered with authority. They think, wow, this is a new teaching. This is something different than what we're used to. Um, he's getting rave reviews. Even when Jesus is interrupted and heckled by a man with an unclean spirit, Jesus doesn't skip a beat. He continues. He commands the unclean spirit to come out. Right? He says, shut up and come out, and it does. And people are even more impressed. And they're wondering, like, man, I'm glad I showed up to church today, and what is going on here? What is going on here? And then after the worship service, everyone goes across the street to Simon's house for some fellowship. Uh, actually, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel and visit Capernaum, um, archaeologists have uncovered, uh, they're, they're quite confident that they've uncovered the foundations of this synagogue. And just a stone's throw away, you can see uh, the foundations of Peter's house. And so you can see the, the, these actual sites. And so literally, they're, they're just going across the street to, to uh, Peter's house for fellowship after church. That's what's going on here. And I know that a lot of people think that Peter here is being a kind of a stereotypically clueless, insensitive man, inviting all his buddies over to his house after church when his mother-in-law is sick and in bed with fever. But... I'm inclined to believe that he's bringing Jesus over to his house so that maybe Jesus will heal her. Jesus has already broken the Sabbath in exercising the unclean spirit, so Peter is probably thinking, maybe Jesus won't mind breaking the Sabbath again by healing my mother-in-law. And that's what Jesus does. He takes her by the hand, he raises her up, and it says that the fever left her just like the unclean spirit had left the man earlier in the synagogue. And then at sundown, everyone in town comes over to the house. Everyone in town has heard about what Jesus has been doing. Um, but they wait until sundown because these are religious people. Even though Jesus has no problems apparently breaking the Sabbath, they don't want to break the Sabbath. They don't want to do the work of carrying the sick. Maybe they don't want to make Jesus break the Sabbath any further. And so they wait until sundown when the Sabbath is over. And then it says, hyperbolically, that the whole city was gathered at the door. The whole city. Uh, it's, it's estimated that perhaps it was a, town, a village of maybe uh, 1,500 people. Everyone's there. Um, now, again, it's probably not everyone. But 
Mark tells us that Jesus healed many and that he cast out many demons. And so you can imagine, you know, just, just hundreds of people perhaps just, just gather outside the door. And I can imagine uh, Peter telling everyone at some point past midnight, hey guys, this is time to come home, come back tomorrow. Just, I need to get some sleep. And so after an exhausting full day of work, uh, you can imagine Jesus probably wanted to sleep in the next day, but instead he gets up very early while it's still dark to go and pray by himself in the wilderness. But even there, he's hounded, he's interrupted by Peter and the others who have come literally hunting, pursuing him, because everyone wants a piece of Jesus. Everyone wants him for something. I mean, that's 24 hours in the day of Jesus. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so uh, I, I want to just make uh, three reflections with you uh, in thinking about this day uh, with you this morning. First is that I think, you know, when we see that Jesus' authority here over unclean spirits, over demons, over illness, and even over the Sabbath here, it is a demonstration that the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. The kingdom is not just some thing, but it's present. It comes in the person of Jesus Christ. I know that many of us may feel a little bit uneasy uh, with all this talk about exorcisms and unclean spirits and, and demonic spirits and so on, but that was simply the, the um, accepted ancient worldview. That's the way they understood the reality. That's the way they talked about life. They ascribed to unclean spirits and to demons uh, what today we would attribute to, um, I don't know, mental illness or viruses and uh, bacterial infections, things like that. So no one was surprised that day. The surprise wasn't that Jesus was exercising this unclean spirit out of this man. In Jesus' day, there are lots of exorcists and healers and so on. They, they were, you know, a dime a dozen. But these exorcists and healers would use these elaborate rituals and they would say all sorts of mumble-jumbo, and they would, you know, call upon some higher deity. They would summon these gods to, to bring healing or to uh, cast out these demons. But you see here, in, in stark contrast, that Jesus does none of this. Jesus says a simple word, and these spirits immediately comply. Jesus does not need to summon a higher power to cast out demons or to heal the sick. He needs no other authorization than himself because he himself is the author of life and the author of salvation. Mark is pointing out that Jesus is one who has been possessed by the Spirit of God and that this battle now, what this points to is that this battle is on, some, it's on a cosmic eschatological scale. This is not just, you know, this one person. It's much bigger. Jesus is engaged in, in, in the battle against the forces of evil that are arrayed against the kingdom of God. That's what these unclean spirits and demons represent. And so while we might use different words today, with all of our scientific and uh, language, we still have to acknowledge that evil is a very present reality a powerful force in the world today. And Mark is telling us that Jesus' command over demonic spirits is evidence now that the power of evil is being broken 
that the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, Jesus, as Mark tells us here, is not just a good teacher, as impressive as he was. He's more than that. He's not just another prophet bringing a word of God. He's not some kind of, I don't know, psychologist or therapist. He has power to remake the world. Jesus is the power to heal. He has the authority to drive out unclean spirits today, the demonic things like, like idols that we hold on to. He has the power to drive the things that bind us in addictions. Think of the kind of like the spirit of anger or jealousy that make you say and do things that are out of character and you feel like you're as if you were possessed. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And just as he was able to do then, he is able to do so today, to release us from all the false narratives of the world and to bring healing into your life today. So given who Jesus is and what he's doing, how might we respond to Jesus? A lot of people, a lot of people were very impressed with Jesus' teaching that day. A lot of people were astonished at the exorcisms that Jesus performed that day. A lot of people were healed that day. But for a lot of people, that was it. They saw something, they heard something, they were impressed, they enjoyed the show, and that was it. As far as the first day of Jesus' ministry goes, it was an impressive day by all sort of secular measures. But it appears in our reading that only one person really responded to Jesus. And that's Peter's mother-in-law. When she's healed by Jesus' touch and the fever left her, we are told that she served Jesus and the disciples. Now, some people in recent years have taken issue with this vignette involving Peter's mother-in-law, who is unnamed. Some have snidely remarked that she was healed so that she could cook dinner for the boys. To be fair, to be fair, that may have been a cultural expectation. But I think that really misses the larger point that Mark is making here. The word for serve here is the word from which we get in English the word deacon. Deacon, as in <laughs> deacon in the church. <laughs> there must be another word, but I can't think of one now. Um, so it, we're told that she deaconed them. She deaconed them. It doesn't say she, she cooked dinner for them. She deaconed them. She served them. And this, is, this word deaconed is the same word that's used earlier in chapter 1 when Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted by the devil and it says that the angels deaconed Jesus. So however ways that you, you want to think about what were the angels doing to serve and minister to Jesus in this time of temptation against the devil in the time of hunger and so on. Like, whatever that was, qualitatively, it's the same idea of how 
Peter's mother-in-law deaconed or served Jesus. So rather than kind of maybe dismissing her efforts, you know, as, I don't know, like making casserole for everybody, which is not a bad thing, like there's something more going on here. We should recognize in her as the first one on the first day who actually helped Jesus to do his ministry. Later in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 15, we will see and we will hear that when Jesus was in Galilee, women followed him and ministered to him. They deaconed to him. And I want to suggest that Peter's mother-in-law started a women's ministry right here in her home, which made Jesus' later itinerant ministry possible. Peter's mother-in-law set the example of what it is to be a disciple. And so the women were able to follow Jesus like any other disciple and made sure that Jesus had everything he needed to do the work of the ministry. Jesus will tell everyone explicitly that to be a disciple is not about power, but about service. In Mark 9, he will say that he sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if any of you want to be first, you must be the last and the servant of all. Later in chapter 10, he'll say, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And then later he will tell his disciples, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So in her service, she's following the supreme example of Jesus himself. We are called to serve, right? You know this. And yet, and yet, isn't serving precisely what we spend our entire lives trying to avoid? Right? Don't we teach our children, work hard, get good grades, go to a good school, get a good job, so what? So that you don't have to serve. So that you can have other people serve you. Don't we tell interns to work hard so that they don't have to bring coffee anymore? So they can have someone else bring the coffee and take out the garbage? Our struggle to succeed is so that we can have others serve us. That's how the world is structured. You start at the bottom of your company and then you, you climb the corporate ladder so that when you get to the top, you can boss others around so that you don't have to do the kinds of menial tasks of serving that you have to do when you're just starting out. I don't know how it is uh, in your homes, but in my house, when it's time to do the dishes after dinner, no one is rushing to the sink to say, let me do it, I want to do it. Usually, there's a conversation about who did it last time, and so it's your turn. Or sometimes there's these negotiations that take place. You know, if you do the dishes this time, then I'll do two vacuumings and a downstairs toilet cleaning, right? There's like all kinds of stuff to get out of this Serving the family of just simply doing the dishes. Um, we're trying to avoid this. I mean, we, I think we have to admit that this is like, <laughs> right? We want to get out of this kind of serving. Uh, I remember when we used to be at the, um, the old um, praise church when we were um, part of the, the Korean congregation. And I remember, you know, um, 
things changed for me. My status in that church changed uh, when I became a minister, when I got ordained. And I distinctly remember uh, soon afterwards coming to church, and um, there was a, a member of our congregation, um, a woman, and uh, we were both carrying some, like, some bags because, I don't know, maybe it was some food or donuts, whatever. So we were both carrying bags. We were coming to the church. And as we are approaching the door, people inside the building saw us. They rushed to the door. They opened the door. They greeted me, took the bags from me, and, you know, they kind of ignored the woman who was carrying bags also, right? Because I was a minister, it was like, oh, no, we can't have our pastor carry bags. And later in the day, right, they wouldn't let me take out the garbage or clean up or even set up the chairs. Um, it was their sort of cultural way of honoring the office of the minister, right? Now, I thought, you know, a fella could get used to this. <laughs> you know, uh, over the years, I thought that it's good that my Korean is so bad and that I cannot work in a Korean church, Korean-speaking church, because... Yeah, I think I could get used to that. And while I might enjoy that for a time, it would really be bad for my faith. It would really be bad for my faith. I've come to that conclusion. Now, I, I want to I be clear, this is not a complaint. I, I'm not asking, those of you who are here early in the morning with me, you know I like setting up the chairs, maybe a little too much. So, um, you know, for me, it's just one way of serving, and, it's, and I enjoy it. So I, I'm not asking you to carry my bags, okay? But I am asking you to serve. And I'm asking you to carry each other's bags and burdens. You know, Peter's mother-in-law shows us that when Jesus raises us to new life, you can serve, right? I mean, she gets to serve. It's an opportunity. Like when you're sick, you can't participate in the life of the community. But now that she's healed, she can join in again and she can serve. She can serve. She didn't have to. Right? She could have stayed in bed a little longer. I'm sure her daughter, Peter's wife, is there. And the other women, they could have served. The disciples could have served. She didn't have to, but she wanted to. She chose service. She chose to do that. Because that is what disciples do. We are raised. We are raised to new life. We are healed so that we can live a life of service. That's what discipleship looks like. Finally, you notice here that when everyone was looking for Jesus, Jesus himself was looking for God. Jesus was really, really popular after this first day of ministry. I mean, the whole city came out to see him. Peter probably wants to convert his home into, you know, the JC's headquarters for exorcism and healing or something, right? He's super, super, he's more popular than John the Baptizer at this point. The town probably wants to give him a medal, right? The, the Chamber of Commerce probably wants to put him on a commercial to, to, to bring in tourists for the city. He's incredibly, incredibly popular. If he wanted to, Jesus could stay. He could build a mega synagogue and have a very comfortable life 
and security. He could build a kind of life and ministry that maybe even his family would be proud of so they won't think that he's out of his mind as they will do later. He could have a very respectable career in town. But instead of seeking more fame, Jesus goes out of his way into the wilderness by himself to pray. Jesus sought obedience to God's will rather than success. I know it's, this is really hard to believe because we are such a uh, celebrity-driven culture. It's all about being known and so on. But Jesus actually chose a life of service rather than a life of celebrity. He wanted to be a servant. And this is one of the reasons that Jesus will keep on telling the demons to shut up. Instead of having them shout out his name, this is the son of God, Jesus tells them to shut up. Like, most people would welcome that, right? To have your enemy say, this is the son of God. You would be taking TikTok videos of these exorcisms and healings to get the message out. To get more popularity. And Jesus rejects all of it. He tells them to be quiet because he doesn't want people to get the wrong idea about what the Messiah is. And we're not going to get the full picture until the very end of the Gospel of Mark. I know we know who he is, but we're not going to get the picture. Mark's not going to tell us the full picture until we get to the end of the Gospel when the centurion sees Jesus on the cross and he says, Behold, surely he's the Son of God. It's in his death that the centurion and we as we read through the Gospel that we come to the full realization of what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God and the Messiah. It's in his death that we get that full recognition. And then before that, Jesus continues to tell these demons and unclean spirits to be quiet. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is now the, the honeymoon phase. Everyone loves him. Um, it's the Galilean spring. And you see here how easily Jesus' mission could have been derailed, not by his enemies, but by success. But Jesus is able to keep his focus. He's able to remember who he is and what he is able to do. He's able to resist the temptations of popularity and fame because he spent this time in prayer. As busy as he was, as popular as he was, as successful as his first day of ministry was, he starts the next day by seeking time alone with God. And I think that's what enables him, that's what enables him to continue to do the work of the kingdom and to be obedient to the will of God, especially as it will get more and more difficult. That's why he's able to say in this moment, when he could have just stayed and enjoyed the success, he says instead, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He's very clear about what he's supposed to do. Wouldn't you agree that time alone with God is valuable? 
Is it worth getting up a little early, even occasionally? You know, years ago, uh, of course, I would never do this now. Uh, years ago, I remember uh, I would complain to my wife about having to get up early sometimes because I had to either feed the kids or do some errands or take care of some other sort of normal life things. <laughs> and she would always point out, you know, you never complain when you have to get up early to play a round of golf, right? Like, what you have your priorities on, you don't complain about getting up a little early. I know that you are all very busy people. I know that many of you are very tired, busy people. I know this. And I also know that it's very easy to, to get off track and to be distracted, to, to move away from your earlier loves of seeking God's kingdom, and to kind of get into this rut of pursuing success and things. To, to seek out comforts. And I want to ask you, I want to exhort you to find some time to be alone in prayer. If Jesus needed time to be alone with God, if Jesus risked going off track without that, surely you and I face the same danger. You and I need that time in prayer to be reminded who we are and to be reminded of the work that we are called to. If you need further encouragement to pray, I'm going to do a Simon Peter here. And I'm going to invite the whole church to come over to Sue and Higgy's house next Saturday at 6 o'clock in the morning while it's still dark. Come out and pray with us. Come out and pray with the church. There'll be some coffee and some English muffins afterwards probably. If you can't come out every Saturday... Come out once a month. Come out once a year. Come out and pray with us. Come and pray. You need, to, you need that time. The church needs your prayers. The church needs your prayers. I know that with few exceptions, at 6 in the morning on a Saturday, most of you are sleeping. Now, listen, I'm all for sleeping. I know we all need more sleep. But I'm also for prayer. And I suspect for most of us, a little more prayer is probably going to be more beneficial than a little more sleep. It's the new year. It's the new year. So let's, let's follow Jesus. Let's live into this life of the kingdom of serving and praying. Pray with me. God, we, um, we know that you had a life that was busier than any of us will ever face, that you faced more temptations than any of us faced. Uh, and yet, you, you stayed grounded. Uh, you kept the faith. You 
lived out a life of servanthood. And you call us to do the same. And so God, help us. God, help us to understand, help us to acknowledge, help us to realize that we have been saved for a purpose. That we've been saved for a life of service. And so God, help us as we seek your face to live into that life so that others may see and give glory to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.